Welcome to the special Clock Talk Live in London, where we capture the magic, ideas, and experiences of the 2022 Clock EMEA Summit. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. Hi, and welcome to Clock Talk London. It's Nick Cranfield here, and I'm delighted to be joined by some guests from Pinson Masons Vary, who will introduce themselves in a second. We're going to be talking for the next 20 minutes or so on the theme of relationships between in-house counsel and the various people that provide legal services to those businesses. So traditional law firms, alternative legal service providers, managed legal services, technology, the list goes on and on. Many of whom are here today at the Clock Summit in London. So perhaps I could ask David and Michael to introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about your background and why you're here today and a bit about Pinson and Mason's Vario. That would be fantastic. So David. Sure. Thanks very much, Nick. So I'm David Halliwell. I'm a partner in Pinson Masons Vario. Vario is the alternative legal services business of Pinson Masons. We're an integrated part of the firm present in the UK, in Germany, APAC, Singapore, Australia, for example. Our focus really through Vario is to try to help businesses make law work better. There are all sorts of issues which clients have because legal is seen as a, a bit of a problem, a bit of a barrier. Our aim is to try and find ways to make that a, a positive experience for the client's businesses and to work with like-minded clients to do things differently. That's fantastic. And I know we're going to get onto a lot of those themes as, as we go through the next 20 minutes. Michael, welcome. Welcome from Munich, I think. <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Michael Zollner. I'm responsible for Vario in Germany. So yeah, we're basically doing the same that David just explained, but since two years now in Germany as well. Well, come on and guten Abend. There you go. That's the best <laughs> yeah. I can do. Now, I think one of the things that we discussed last week when we were catching up before the podcast was thinking about why is it that external providers would want to try and move from a more transactional relationship to one where they are kind of truly engaged with their clients as a sort of business partner or as a trusted advisor. And I think you two are in a good to talk about that because I assume that's kind of where Pinson's and Mason's Vario want to get to. What's driving that from your perspective? I think it's at its heart a desire to invest in a relationship for the long term. If you're looking at a transactional approach where you're simply chasing the next piece of work from a client and looking at that on an individual basis, you don't get that overview of the client. You don't get that overview of all the different things which are going on. So if you move things to a long-term relationship, you have a much more intimate involvement with the business. Now, what you get from that is the ability to provide a wider range of solutions to the client, but you also get a much more interesting insight into everything that's going on. Yeah. And I guess turning to you, Michael, as the person in Germany who's leading the Vario efforts in terms of, you know, slightly different to a traditional law firm and managing your services, is the motivation for doing that different, do you think, in terms of the part of the, the Pinson Mason's business that you're leading, this kind of slightly alternative method from a traditional law firm, or are the drivers similar? What do you think? I wouldn't say that the drivers are different from a traditional law firm to a new law business that we are operating within the firm. I think one aspect is the role of legal and the legal environment itself has changed. Mm -hmm. So whether you are a classic law firm or alternative service provider, the demand of the client is actually driving the change and the market demand, uh, namely law plays a different role in product development and the whole business. So I think it's the market that is driving the change and it's not possible anymore as it might have been a couple of years ago to just advise externally very separated from the operational business. Coming back to your question, 
difference, though, is that what we're doing is also managed legal services, meaning long-term projects, outsourcing. So there you have the long-term relationship with the client anyway. And that's, of course, something where you need a little more closer relationship and much, much more business-driven. One of the interesting things for us is that uh, clients are very often coming to us and saying, we're not quite sure what the answer to this problem is, but we're prepared to invest time and effort with you in trying to solve that. And part of that really involves joint sharing of uh, the risk. Um, it, It has joint sharing of ideas and not really being too proprietorial about ideas and working together to get to an outcome which is really the best outcome for the particular business issue. Now, I don't think you can do that if you look at a client as a single entity from which you are trying to extract as many fees as possible. If you enter into that with a spirit of cooperation where you can see that both parties are going to get some value out of this as a relationship, both parties are going to work together to deliver that outcome, then quite frankly, it's a better outcome for the business, but it's a much more interesting thing to do as a lawyer, as a professional. I mean, I'm going to go slightly off piece from what we discussed previously, but I think it's worth touching on this because it's interesting you say that because I imagine that if you're working in a more sort of project-driven environment in terms of the provision of managing your services, that's a bit easier to do than if the people who are delivering those services are lawyers based on traditional law firm who effectively are charging their time out in six-minute increments and are presumably remunerated on their ability to drive chargeable hours. So that seems to be an advantage in that you can be more flexible to that client demand and desire for like collaborative working if you're in a space where you can be more flexible about your kind of commercial model. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that if there's going to be a relationship with a client, which might be, I don't know, a three-year, five-year relationship, then the way these relationships work is you might have to invest quite a lot in year one to make sure that you're making the process work as smoothly as possible in years two, three, four, and five. And if we are able to take a long-term view on that, we have some certainty and skin in the game with a client from them as well, then that's an investment we're quite happy to make. But if it ends up being like a six-month project, then we just don't have that same incentive to invest to get it going. I guess, Michael, to you, as someone presumably who is engaging daily or at least weekly with new and existing clients on that type of thing, how do you approach that pragmatically? Because that seems to me to require a kind of change of approach, both from the provider for you, but also from the client. Because if the client views it transactionally, that's a challenge too. So are there examples where you've tried to move a client from that sort of transactional mindset to thinking, well, hang on a minute. Yes, we could provide you with a person or a team for six months, but actually what we observe is a more underlying problem, which we could also help you to fix, but that's going to take three years. I mean, that's a very good point that you make that it's, it's not only the provider, but also the, the client who has to take a different approach. And Maybe you can see this best not in managed legal services, what we provide, but we also have a bunch of flexible lawyers, project lawyers. Mm -hmm. And that's a typical case that the client comes to us and says, guys, we need support by a project lawyer, but please send me somebody with an in-house approach. And then it's typical that the lawyer says, every lawyer says, yeah, I have this approach, even if they don't have the in-house experience. But then it always comes to the question, okay, I can do this. I can provides advices with an in-house approach, but what about liability? Yeah, Then it must be clear for the client that he does not come afterwards and says, why didn't you send me a you know legal opinion with uh, yeah. every thought thought through? So that's a typical discussion that we have. But when it comes to project lawyer work, 
usually it works out very well. And the client says, yeah, I wouldn't sue my own in-house lawyer either. So I don't expect this to do the external advisor. When it comes to managed legal services, it's more a question of know-how transfer, where we put a lot of effort in asking the client to say, well, then let's sit together. If you don't have a playbook or contract guidelines, then let's create this together. As much know-how as we get from you, the more we can provide you with this in-house approach and share your risk appetite or not. Yeah, I think there's two interesting things that come out from that very insightful answer. The first one is when people say to you, please send us a lawyer with an in-house mindset or whatever. What does this mean? I say this as a lawyer who's worked in-house for 12 years. David, have you got any thoughts about what that actually might mean? I think a traditional legal approach is very black and white. It's yes or no, do this or don't do this. Well, when you're working in an in-house environment, the business wants to do a thing. So it's not a question of whether they can do it or not. It's a question they are going to do it, but how can they do it to minimise their risk? What are the boundaries they need to think about? What are the things which they should do, things they shouldn't do, but they still want to achieve that objective? And I think too often private practice lawyers will come at it with that very all or nothing attitude. So there was an interesting conversation in one of the sessions earlier where people were talking about value. And I think it was the session you were in where the in-house legal team were being asked to identify what value they had contributed to the business. And I think that's a fundamental driver of the difference in the mindset. It's not just, can you do it? Can you not do it? But actually, how have I enabled you to do that better? How have I enabled you to do that faster? How have I enabled you to deliver greater commercial benefit to the business from the things which I have done as a lawyer? And that's a very different sort of attitude to the way a private practice lawyer might approach something. Yeah. And I think the interesting bit there, well, one of the interesting things there for me would be if you say, look at the value that you're creating, it's a completely different way of thinking about something. And it's not whether the business can or can't do something, it's whether they should do something or how should they do it. So what's the best way for them them to do that? So I think that's really interesting. But then the second point that I wanted to raise was about risk. And do you think, Michael, in your experience, is there a fundamental difference between the way Again, from my perspective, most lawyers around the world are trained in a private practice environment and then come on to work in-house if they do choose to. So is there something in the way in which we train lawyers and develop them which is making it difficult for them to appreciate risk properly? I mean, coming from the continent, yeah, from a civil law country, but I guess it's the same here. Yes, I started actually in private practice and then went in-house. And then when I, the beginning, I was seeing risks everywhere. And then I had a funny job where I was responsible for sales team as well. And if you sit there the first time and are responsible, not only for the legal risks to manage them, but also that, you know, the revenue is coming in (laughs) and you see risks certainly. Um, So yes, I think it is still true that the education is very much focused on the legal aspects on risk and everything. And it requires a certain experience to see both sides and manage risks in a business oriented way. But again, that's the topic that you mentioned before. It's also the client. As long as there's an inherent conflict between, I want somebody who takes all risks away from me and I pay for that. But at the same time, I want them to make a business decision then it needs really clear communication. And I think it has both sides. And what happens often is that the business comes and says, we need legal advice. The legal department says we don't have the capacity, send it to an external lawyer. And then 
on that way, the communication goes. Yeah, completely. And I think it's even more nuanced and complex than that, having worked in-house for a number of years, because it's also that sometimes the business comes to you as an in-house team and says, we want pragmatic commercial advice, but they don't really want that. What they want is someone to be where the buck stops. And they want to say, oh, but legal, but Nick said that we could do this. So we're absolved of all responsibility. So I think it is quite a challenging environment there. And I think that's about developing a different mindset within an enterprise, not just between the enterprise and its external legal providers, but within the enterprise itself as well. And the in-house approach, I think it also has a procedural aspect in it that one thing is managing the risk, but the other thing is the timing. And I mean, legal is often seen as a bottleneck and, you know, the business wants to drive and then we have to wait for review. So what we see in managed service projects is that it's also different to classic advice to set up a procedure where you ensure that processes go fast, that the client has a direct access to the lawyer, that we have response times usually agreed with the client. So we say, or at least within one hour, we tell them, okay, it's on our desk, we take care of it. And that's also a different approach. It's a more, you know, business partnership. Yeah, approach, and I, and I guess it's the interesting bit there for me from a legal point of view is, That's the power of, of having disciplined and consistent approach to process and that communication. So you're moving away from this traditional kind of lawyer-client model to going, no, no, you're in a process and you can see where you are in the process. So however long it's going to take, it will be the same amount of time every time and you will see the, the transparency of that. And that should allow the business party on the other side to model their processes in that way. Because in some ways, not, I don't think it's necessarily the amount of time it takes, it's the uncertainty that makes it difficult because you don't know how long it's going to take before you get an either stop or go decision. And a lot of this comes down to roles and responsibilities as well. I mean, we're working with a, a client at the moment who are looking at their data protection processes and they have got a huge number of policies and they've got a huge number of documents and they've got a huge amount of training they've sent out to the business. The problem is that nobody's quite sure who is responsible yeah. for carrying out a certain data protection task, data protection impact assessment. And so we're working with them to just look at all the different stakeholders, legal, the business, procurement, all the different things that they do, technology, infosec, and map out all of those processes. As you've been saying, it's the process which is important and just try to identify the gates at each stage and see who needs to do what. And I think that's a really interesting example because we're going to move on to a couple of things towards the end of our time together. But I think what's interesting there is That's requiring you to take some time to truly understand the client that you're working for. So you're taking a tactical situation, which is the deployment of effective data protection advice, but you're taking an opportunity to learn a lot about the organization's structure and reality, political reality of that client. Now, that knowledge that you're gaining from that is going to be of enormous benefit in the long term. Yeah, and I think this is one of the hallmarks of it being a relationship which we have both invested in for the long term because the client is fully prepared to say, look, we've got some dirty laundry here yeah. and we want you to come and help us fix this Lead as a it. problem. And they're not embarrassed about the fact that some of this stuff isn't working really well. What we're all focused on is getting the right outcome for the business so that they're compliant. And they know that we've got different skill sets, which we can merge with their knowledge, their processes and come up with the right solution together. Yeah, great. A question for you, Michael. So, We said it's a two-way street. The client's got to be willing as well as, in this case, Vario or other providers. I mean, from your point of view, how can you tell or can you tell when it's working? So when you think you are moving from this transactional relationship into much more of a business partnering model, what signs do you get? How does it, is it a feeling or is it something more uh, tangible than that? 
we found out that at the beginning, it's always much more difficult to organize this know-how transfer than you would expect because many clients, they don't have the time to spend the time with you to sit together and say, well, it works like that. This is our risk appetite. Or they don't have the processes or the playbooks or whatever by themselves. So once the know-how transfer is done, then it's actually always a question of trust, of mutual trust. And there's at a certain time in the projects always a point where you see now they trust us yeah. and we are part of the team now. And once this happened, then things go smooth. And at the beginning, it's sometimes a little bit, you know, they want to check out, can we really trust this whole team and processes? But there's always this one moment or not moment slowly where you say now it is and then uh, yeah as you said it's more feeling that but i think that's really interesting because we talk about data a lot we try and be quite scientific but in the end it's people that we're dealing with so it's an emotional let's say that's an emotional experience and that requires emotional intelligence to understand whether you've reached that point and i guess without going too deep like all relationships even when you've got that feeling of trust you just have to keep working to maintain it like all of our relationships it's not a one-shot deal and then we're done now, you trust me forever, right? You've got to keep going. And I think one of the biggest touchstones of whether you've got that is when something goes wrong. Yes. So if something goes wrong, that can sometimes be the one thing which completely breaks a relationship or it can be something which absolutely makes it. So you can go through a process of identifying what went wrong, why it happened, how you can improve it. If the client is really prepared to go through that and to invest the time with you, you know that they're in it for the long term. If they say, well, you screwed up once, that's it. We don't want to hear from you again. Well, fine. Maybe that wasn't a relationship you wanted to be in in the first place. That can sometimes be the thing which really flips you into that, okay, we're in this together and we're going to make this work properly. Great. And to wrap up, one thing I'd like to ask both of you is, from your experience, if there was kind of one tip or one piece of advice you could give to people who are providing services externally into enterprises and to the in-house teams that support them in order to try and move themselves from a transactional relationship into one of more trust and more business partnering, what would that one piece of advice be? Who shall I put on the spot first? David. <laughs> so I would say, get your mindset out of the zero-sum game. Stop thinking that law firms are only in it to make as much money out of businesses as possible. And businesses Law firms, you have to recognise that they're not always wanting necessarily to pay as little money as possible for what you're getting. Because if that's what you're trying to do, you're never going to meet in the middle. I think you just need to focus on outcomes and value. And if you're the client, one of the things which you can do, which is of immense value to your legal services providers, is be serious about giving feedback, give timely and detailed feedback. And if you're prepared to do that, then that is something which is absolute gold dust to any service provider because it's the only way that they can know what's going well, what they can improve and how they can make things better in the long run. So come with an open mind and be prepared to give and receive honest feedback. Yeah, perfect. Michael? I would say do everything at the very early stage of the relationship to gain the trust of the client because, as I said, once you reach this, then you can enter into a totally different relationship. Yeah, yep. as long as this is a relationship of provider and, yeah. and you don't really and that's something i think which is really worth investing a lot at the beginning which means investing time and effort pays out in the end for both sides then yeah because it's a much better relationship yeah and because i love cliches i guess i'd sum that up by saying uh, if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and that's what it is right 
That's great. I've really enjoyed this. I hope our listeners have too. Thank you so much for joining me on Clock Talk London. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time. 